Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Crowcast Podcast. I'm Shane. Hey, I'm Ronnie. And these are the audio versions of the interviews we've had with our special guests on Crowcast. This episode is with Danny Bowes. So good to have Danny back. And boy, he didn't fail on the stories. Um, it's incredible, actually, because this it was months ago, Shane, when we spoke to Danny. And... Um, it was brilliant when he came on. It was almost like a different conversation. I think the first 30, 40 minutes of this of, of this podcast is just like how he's been, like, you know, and um and you you get to know a little bit more about Danny as well, like, you know, especially with the football and um stories of him recovering from injuries. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, man, totally. But but also what was great and a lot of people didn't see on Crowcast was obviously we spoke to him before. He came on Crowcast just checking things over and he was saying about how many interviews he's done um, for the album. But it was just nice to... I mean, it happens all the time when people come on Crowcast, man. They're just like talking about how they've been. It's not so much about, you know, the 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 album they're promoting or the, or the music. It's just them. Like, they love to have a chat. And, uh, yeah, it was a really, really good... It was a bit frightening, dude, because there's so many similarities um, in his life... You know, like we've said, him and Luke about me and you being in the same school together and stuff and the relationship we have. But the, him as an individual as well, as a singer, the same things, same issues he had, I, just, I have had. So it's, um, it was really rewarding, man. Inspirational. Fair play. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And, and, and some real corkers. He does chant about, obviously, how they um, have come to the to the point of releasing a book, First 50 Years, which is cool. Uh, both me me and you both said that we'd like to go and watch the, the show because it's going to be kind of unscripted, unplugged, and then stories of, of them two growing up. But I'd love to see the chemistry as well, uh, j- just basically because of what he said of Luke and how they play off each other and for what one doesn't bring, the other brings. You know, I, I just... Yeah. I, I can't wait to meet them, mate, because obviously... You know, for anybody listening to this now, we first met Danny back months ago when we first started Crowcast. I can't remember the episode, so I apologize, but it is available on YouTube. But it's one of the very first, you know, first 10, I would yeah. say, it's within the first 10 episodes. And then last night was episode 56. So <laughs> it just felt like we'd known him for years. Just because yeah. of that first interview probably because of how comfortable myself and you have become doing it now. And it just felt like we'd been buddies for years and we were just literally catching up. Hey, you know, when he came on, I was the boys. Just somebody I'm really looking forward to actually meeting again, like, you know? Yeah, I mean, we only had him on for, I don't know, just over an hour. But as you said, man, he's been in the game a long time and the stories, can you imagine how many stories you could tell us over over a pint or three, you know? Um, Yeah, I must say, but I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, exactly, dude. And, um, you know, the problem is with Crowcast, they are, you know, they are conscious when they're on you. You don't want to give away too much or say anything behind the scenes. But I really did feel with Danny last night, the first time we did it, myself and you were conscious on the time that he was on and whether we got what we needed across, where this time was just so relaxed. And I looked up at the clock and I'm like, whoa, he's been over over an hour. Yeah, it didn't yeah. feel like we were going to end it, but it was like, well, really, we should wrap it up about by there, like you know. So, um, you never know; it could be a Danny Bowes part three, a trilogy, <laughs> a trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant, mate. Should we get into it? Here we go. Strap in. This is Crowcast podcast. <laughs> 
Crow family, please welcome back to Crowcast, the voice, the front man of thunder, Mr. Danny Bowes. Hey, there he is. Hello there. How are you, brother? I'm very good, thank you. Very good indeed. I can't complain. Well, I can, but nobody cares, so why bother? (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's exactly it. So a little bit, looking a bit different to last Crowcast. Am I? Yeah. What did I look like last time? You had a beard, big beard, and a hat. Did I? Yeah. Lockdown served you well. You're looking good. You sure it was me? It was definitely you. Do you know what? That explains a lot if it wasn't. Yeah. (laughs) Ah, you know, I'm like the Scarlet Pimpernel, we see. If they seek me here, they seek me there. I'm always trying to be one step ahead of the tax man. (laughs) (laughs) We all need. I don't know if that's oh, possible. Because uh, that, that was months ago. Um, have you been keeping, mate? You all right? Yeah, good. Absolutely good. Yeah, I can't complain. I'm very lucky. I just heard you guys talking about how lucky you are, you know, with the mountains and great views and great countryside and stuff. I don't have that because I live in um, darkest Kent. But it's very... Um, it's okay here. I mean, I've got a nice house, nice garden, green space just around the corner. So... Um, yeah, I can't complain. I mean, I, I feel sorry for those poor people who live in flats and with kids yeah. and having to do homeschooling and no green space. That must be very, very hard. I don't really uh, envy those people at all. So, you know, I mean, you can feel sorry for yourself. It's the human condition, you know, when you're trapped and you can't do the things you want to do. But to be perfectly honest with you, you know, I've got nothing to moan about. Not at all. No, I mean, we, we've talked about it on you since I last spoke to you. Um, I've discovered so much of where I live um, and I'm not even going far, even, you know, stay into the rules or whatever. I'm very, very lucky that I walk um, steps out of the door. There's, there's lakes, there's mountains, um, there's hills. It, it's stunning, mate. And very, very grateful and fortunate for that as well. But it, it has allowed me the time to discover what is actually around and the history um, of where my house is and, what it was built on and it's, it's incredible like you know so um i can't complain as well like you said i've seen so many people on um whether it be social media or the tv and and they're just kind of looking out of a one-bedroom flat um so i've been very fortunate like you know yeah i think so i think it's very um i think you i think you've got to count your blessings i think you've got to feel lucky when you are lucky and i think you have to just kind of Ignore the stuff that's slightly irritating, you know. There's a lot of people suffering. A lot of people have been dying, thankfully. It's all getting a bit better now, you know, with the vaccinations and everything that's going on. But I think, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. It's been a long tunnel and it's been dark for a long time. But there is light. So I think, you know, we need to celebrate that and enjoy the good bits, you know, as much as we can. I heard you talking about you were running there, Shane. So um, you run every day. Yeah, I've been I've been running out for the past two weeks. Um, I'm not I'm not built for running, Danny. I'm not going to lie. I'm too big. I'm too fat and useless. But um, I'm trying, bud. I'm trying. Do you try and keep fit? Do you go out running and stuff? Or I have done. Yeah, yeah. Weirdly, I um I started. Um, I used to run all the time, and then I hurt my knee a long, long time ago playing football. Yeah. And yeah. um, you know, classic footballer's knee. You know, where the knee they're supposed to do this. Mine did that as well. 
Yeah. So yeah. very unpleasant. You know, there were ACL reconstruction. I got it fixed a long time ago, but I decided then and there I didn't want to have to go through it again. The rehabilitation and the physiotherapy yeah. um, was, it was quite funny, actually, because I can remember I'd had the operation. Well, I'd had the injury for nine years. Um, this is, wow. I mean, I think I did it when you were both children. You might have been in nappies when I did it. Probably. I seem to remember going past your house and you were screaming. I seem to remember. Um, and I, um, I had the operation after nine years and we were just about to make our first live album. I never forget it. We were signed to a company called Eagle Rock. And the guy who ran the label was a guy called John Knowles. His nickname was Knocker, right? A very famous character. And, um, I was going to have my knee operated on and the guy who was going to do this, do the work, the surgeon, he then decided he was going to go on a lecture tour of America. And so he let me down and our shows were already on sale and we'd done a deal with the record label to record the live album. And so they'd spent a load of money and everything was on sale. And suddenly I didn't have the time to do the physiotherapy after the operation. They told me it would take three months and this surgeon decided to go off. So there I am. I've got no surgeon, got shows on sale, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do the gigs. Shit. So I rang um, a friend of mine, uh, without wishing to name drop, Rod Smallwood, right, manager of Iron Maiden. And I rang him up and said, Rod, you know a guy. You told me you had your knee fixed. Who can do this work for me? He said, I'll tell you a bloke. I'll get him to phone you up. His name's... <laughs> Howard Ware, he's fantastic. Anyway, I mean, I've got the wrong accent there because I'm doing <laughs> Manchester and Rod's from Yorkshire. But, you know, it's the closest I can do, you know. So anyway, he, um, he, uh, he rings me, this guy, and I go to see him at the Wellington Hospital just behind Lords in London, very posh. You know, you walk in and you think, no way I can afford this operation. This place is way too posh, you know. You go sit down and somebody gives you a bill. You know, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. So... Anyway, the guy does the operation, but before he does it, I rang this guy, John Knowles, and said, uh, how soon do you want to get your money back? He said, what do you mean? I said, on this record deal. And he said, what about it? And I explained to him about the surgeon going on holiday, and now I've got this new guy who's going to do it, but they only do it privately. So he says, what's it going to cost me? So I give him the price, and he said, um, well, perhaps we'll knock it off the, uh, off the band's royalties. I said, no, 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 you can't do that. It's my knee. I don't want them to have a share of my knee. This is my knee. <laughs> so he said, so what are you going to do? So I said, well, I want to go get the operation done or we'll have to put off the shows and the live album. And he said, ah, so that's why you're asking me how soon do I want to get my money back? So I said, yeah. So he said, what do you want me to do? I said, I want you to pay for the operation. And he said, well, all of it. I said, yeah, yeah. He said, so it's my knee then. I said, well, <laughs> if you want to come and get it, you're welcome. So Basically, he paid for the operation. I had my knee done, and then I had spent three months doing physiotherapy with a sadist who basically beat the crap out of me three times a week until it was done. And when I did the show, the first show, um, it's Thunder Live. It was the first live album we ever made, proper one. Um, it was filmed and everything. And uh, the guy came to the gig, the physiotherapist, and I said, um, did you enjoy it? I saw him in the after show. He said, yeah, I thought it was great. He said, did you wear your knee brace? Cause I'd worn a knee brace for years. And um, I said, no, I didn't wear it. And he said, really fantastic. How did, how did it feel? I said, I didn't even notice it. I think you did a fantastic job with a physio. Absolutely brilliant. He said, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I said, what's that? 
He said, with your operation and what you had done, I didn't believe it was possible to get you back to match fitness in three months. But I had to push you very hard to get it done. So I said, so that's why I thought you were the living embodiment of Satan. He said, you're correct. (laughs) And he said, he said, I now use you as my example of what is possible even against all odds. So I said, okay, thanks very much. And basically that was the story of the knee and how the record company paid for it. And, um, I stopped running or playing football as a result of that knee because I didn't want to have to go through it again. Um, wow. And then last summer, I started again. And um, I did Couch to 5K first off. You know the little app on your phone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did yeah. that first. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Absolutely loved it. Couldn't believe how brilliant the program was. So I loved it so much, I've done my own version. So now I use the NHS app. I've taken all of their stuff and all their time-ins and all of the things that they say, and I've replaced it all with my insanity. So I tell people to when to start to run, when to stop running, when to start again, when to celebrate and look like a maniac, only when there's no one around, of course. You know, you don't want to look like a mad thing. But basically, that's what I did. And uh, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, so I, I still run now three times a week. Love it. Oh, well done, mate. Yeah, well man. Do you miss I the mean, football, Tony? Do what? Do you miss the football? Playing football? Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you miss playing football? I don't. I don't miss it when I'm awake. I know that sounds stupid, but during the day, I never think about it. I watch football. I love football. I start the newspaper at the back so I can read the football news first. Right? Always have. But when I'm asleep, I dream of playing football. How weird's that? Yeah. Wow. So where right. where did you play? What position did you play? I was a defender. Right. Yeah, a dirty defender. Yeah, <laughs> I right your legs, Norman type of character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They never got past me. <laughs> does, does Luke still play, or is he is he retired as well from football? Or no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't play. I don't. I don't think he plays anymore. I think. Um, I think. I think the the the, uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's. Yeah. Uh, you know, as you get older, you know, you you have to kind of acknowledge the fact that you know, time. Stops for no man, you know. It, it marches on relentlessly, and um, it comes a point where you have to kind of admit that you can't do certain things, you know. And yeah. um, there's something brilliant about recognizing that now. I know it's a bit odd, but there's something really good about recognizing that some things you can't do, so you have to do other things instead. Mm, and yeah. kind of the realization of that, um, it's quite sad in some ways because your ego gets knocked as a result, but. I think the kind of the acceptance brings some kind of form of, I don't know whether it's kind of Zen like wisdom or something, but it does make you really appreciate the things that you can do. And it makes you want to do them better. Um, Unless you're Luke, in which case when you play golf and you hit a bad shot, you still scream at yourself and call yourself names. (laughs) (laughs) Cause he he gets very, very irate when he plays golf. I I love it. I walk around kidding myself laughing because um. For me, golf is conversational. It's social. It's a really good, good laugh. Yeah. Not for Luke. Luke likes yeah. to beat the shit out of himself all the way around. <laughs> it's funny you should say that because I've, I've just recently picked up uh, golf again with my brother. Um, we're going tomorrow, actually. But um, we've we've been the same. Me and brothers, the competitiveness and and you know we've had many a Barney on 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 the golf course, throwing clubs and <laughs> kicking golf. But, uh, Bags over, storming off. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, 
but we like that. That's a brother thing as well. So you and Luke, you're like brothers, or yeah, are you competitive? I don't think so. No, we're very different people. Um, luckily, I think we're we're complementary. You know, we dovetail very well. Uh, we've got a long history together. We've known each other fifty years. Come this September, which is insane, isn't it? I mean, that's just terrifying. But we're very lucky, I think, because he's the complete opposite of me. And he's really good at the things that I'm not interested in. And I'm really good at the things he's not interested in. So as a result, we fit together really well. And we don't push each other's buttons either. We don't argue. I think we've probably had three crosswords in 50 years. Yeah. I'd say without any fear of contradiction. I think, I think you'll have to run a thousand miles to find anybody that would bear witness to seeing us have a row wow. anywhere in the world. Yeah. Cause we don't, you know, I will, I will run a hundred miles to argue with someone and he will run a hundred miles rather than argue with someone. So that's how it works. Yeah. That's cool. yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. I love that. I love Yin that. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're very fortunate. I think, you know, Weirdly, his wife has told me more than once over the years, if I sit you both in separate rooms and I ask you the same question about anything to do with music, I pretty much guarantee you'll both give me the same answer. And that's weird because we're completely separate people, but we've grown up almost, our, our paths have kind of converged. So we have a lot of shared experiences about the good and the bad in life as well as the music business. Yeah. So I think our opinions are pretty much formed you know together so we, we you know we pretty much think the same way about most things certainly to do with music at least you know what's good what's bad what's indifferent what we don't want to talk about you know all that kind of crap you know we're, we're i think we're very uh very lucky and we take it for granted absolutely we take it for granted because you know we've known each other you know we were 11 when we met you know what i mean that's mad yeah. and we've been doing this in a band together since 1975 <laughs> that's insane that's amazing it just doesn't make any sense it's amazing oh i mean we said that to you before and like me and shane got it because obviously like i said we went to school together we went to school with shiner as well so we get that if you got that as a foundation as well that that pass together it's it's incredible and it really helps you as well as you get older because um, you do form in different ways, do you know what I mean? And we've talked about that, haven't we, Shane, about, like, um, you're growing up together, but you're also changing as well, like, you know, or you're... Um, and, and I think it's vital, like, you know, or it's nice then to have somebody to lean back on the past with um, and talk yeah. about that or, or you know, or do you remember when we did that or that that mistake, for example? You know, you can really look back at your mistakes. Yeah, um, yeah. I think... I think that, but yeah, I the band is... Being in a band is like, it's a bit like being in a gang, yeah. you know. Uh, I don't mean gang as in the kind of the modern sense. I mean gang as in the old-fashioned sense, you know, like kind of naughty kids running around making a, you know, making a mess and, and just kind of being cheeky. I think there's, you can rely on the people in your gang. Um, they've always got your back. And it's the same thing with being in a band. You completely rely on the other guys in your band, you know, people, when, when they write about my band, they nearly always write about me. They write about my singing, but that's because I'm at the front, basically making sure that nobody else can look at anyone else. Cause I'm just too busy running around like a maniac. So that everybody's looking at me. That's, 
But if you did that on your own, you would look like a mad thing, wouldn't you? <laughs> you, you need you need the rest, you know. You need yeah. that foundation. People always talk about our band and how we we have a tendency to go off at a tangent during songs, and we do that deliberately. We rehearse the beginning, we rehearse the end, sometimes. <laughs> but a lot of the time we say right when we get to that bit we'll do something and one of us will take the lead and then we'll go off and then the rest of us will follow a lot of the time it's me because I'm kind of judging how the show is going all the time I'm like a snake smelling the air with the old tongue out I have to know that this show is going to end the way I want it to there's no kind of pre-plan for the show for me it has to end the way I want it to. And if it's not going the way I want it to, I have to do something. I don't know what I'm going to do. Sometimes I have to set fire to myself, set fire to the audience, get my cock out, you know, whatever. I've got to do something to get a reaction. And, and you know, I've done all those things over the years, one way or another. Yeah, you know, I mean, I remember we did a, we did a show in Basel and I ended up stepping into the audience. It was a corporate gig with Deep Purple, sponsored by Cigar Makers. Gig was going very badly. They didn't give a shit who we were. They didn't know who we were. And we're running out of time and I'm thinking, I've got to turn this around. I've got to turn this around. I've got to find a way to do it. So I stepped into the audience. Luca just started playing uh, Don't Wait For Me, you know, with the old big guitar solo. He's got the old hair floating back, you know, rock god, foot on the monitor, got it all going on. <laughs> all that stuff he does with his air, you know. And just just before I started singing, I thought I've got to do something. So I stepped into the audience and I and I went up to a table and I found a woman sitting at the table with a man, all dressed up, the old dicky bows and the penguin suits and, you know, diamonds and tiaras and stuff. Very, very posh too. So I basically went up to this woman and um, I took her hand and I said, would you like to dance? And I put the microphone right up close so that, she, that everyone could hear us talking. And she said, uh, um, um, and I said, thank you. And I just basically grabbed her, didn't give her a chance. And I made her step up on her chair onto the table. I kicked all the stuff away. And I got onto the table with her and we started doing a slow dance on the table in the middle of this room, right? With the whole audience all watching, all thinking, thank Christ it's not me. Thank Christ it, you can think of they're all doing it, right? And the band are playing thinking, what is he doing? What is he going to sing? What's going on? So I started singing to the woman while I was dancing with her. I sang the whole song, Dancing with a Woman. And then while Luke was doing the, um, the solo, giving it, <clears throat> you know, playing his big solo with his blowing his hair, I basically just carried on dancing with a woman and took the microphone away and just started talking to her about how she got there that day and how she'd done her shopping. And, you know, hope we haven't left the iron on and that kind of thing. <laughs> and we got through to the end of the song and it finished... And the audience went nuts, absolutely nuts. And it turned the gig around. That's wow. the kind of thing. I have to find something in every gig. If it's not going well, I have to find a way to turn it around. And so if I go off in, in, a, in a direction, the band will follow me um, because they know what I'm doing and why. They don't know how we're going to get out of it, but they know we're going to do it. And we've had some spectacular car crashes over the years, it's got to be said. But it all falls to bits, and the audience are looking around at each other, going, "Did they mean to do that? I don't yeah. think they did." Yeah. You know? But we don't care, you know. It's it just it just makes it different. It means yeah. that when people go away, they think I was there when they did whatever yeah. it may be, and that's the key, you know. That's the key for us. That's what keeps us engaged, and I think that's what keeps an audience stimulated. 
Yeah, I'd imagine it's a kind of, well, you tell me, Euron, when I go off on my little wonders um, off stage, up balconies, on stairs, on tables, is that what you're thinking? Or? Yeah, I mean, I love it. <laughs> we, both, we both will get this as front men. So, like, where certain stages, if there's balconies, etc. I don't know if you've done it, Danny, but Shane likes to get up onto the balcony and, and run around the balcony and stuff, similar to when you got down onto the table and start interacting. And the, the funniest gigs are where... You disappear backstage, for example, from a drummer's point and from a band point, and you're doing the yeah. whole jam or you're, you're doing like a breakdown of the section, and you can hear you sing in one point, and then you'll you'll go, and there's all there's like a lag, and that's when the 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 sheer like timing and the friendship and everything comes into play because you just you're praying that you're in time and in sync with each other. Like, do you know what I mean? Cause there's a point of like, especially some of these theaters that we've played, which are beautiful and grand. But by the time you've got to the back of the room, there's that, that kind of like bounce back, especially if I haven't been in years. Um, mm. it's, it's almost like, so you're in that little bit of bounce back and you're just literally, um, going off feel. But yeah, I mean, some of the views are spectacular, mate, whether, you know, you're leaning over a balcony or I can imagine the same for the band when Danny's dancing on a table. I I personally love front men who do that because it's more than it's more than your ticket's worth. Do you know what I mean? It's you know, if I was going to a gig now as a drummer or as a music fan, I would wanna see the front man interact with as many people as possible. And I love the old-fashioned term of singing to the guy at the back of the room or the woman at the back of the room, like, you know, reaching that person at the back of the room. So I think it's vital, I do, but it's definitely interesting where the hell you're going to end up, like, you know? I think I think you have to... Um, you have to have the courage of your convictions. You have to be prepared to go with it. And mm. as you say, when you've known each other a long time, and you have that you have that kind of strength you have that reserve that you can that you can believe in that you can rely on and i think that's where uh, bands that haven't been together a long time or have or don't know each other well enough they struggle with, with yeah. that kind of thing you might find one guy who want to do it and the other's like oh no, i don't know what to do i don't know what to do and they get very panicky and it shows cuz feel is everything you know the audience can always tell and i think that if it's genuine even if it's even if it's a cock-up i don't think it matters i really genuinely don't think it matters as long as you look like you're having a good time that's the key you know audiences feed on that shit absolutely and i've i've watched it so many times over the years when i was a kid i went to see van halen on their second album tour they played at the rainbow in finsbury park in london fantastic venue and they were brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But the highlight of the show for me was when they went off after the set was finished and they came back on to do the encore, but it was just David Lee Roth. Now, David Lee Roth, not the world's best singer, but at the time, there was no other front man like him. Yeah. No, nowhere. All the other singers stood and sang. Yeah. That's what they did. And they either hit the notes or they didn't, but they didn't entertain. David Lee Roth came back onto the stage wearing leather chaps, no top on, great physique, little teeny weenie acoustic guitar, slightly bigger than a banjo and not big enough to be an acoustic guitar. And he stood at a curtain, just got himself through the curtain, and he stood there like that. And the audience went mad. 
And he stood there for what felt like 10 minutes, just smiling, didn't speak, just smiling. And at the end of what felt like 10 minutes, he moved another half a step forward. And as he did, this enormous plume of ostrich feathers came up from behind him that which were all stuffed down the back of his leather chaps. And they just revealed themselves like this massive great plume of ostrich feathers. And the audience went mental again. All the laughter went up and the screaming and the shouting and everything went up again. And it went on for another 10 minutes. Still hasn't spoken, right? 10 minutes of all this stuff. And, the, and these ostrich feathers are getting bigger and bigger. And after about what felt like 20 minutes, he said, London. And I went mad again. <laughs> the whole thing was just insane. And you just think to yourself, now that is a showman. Yeah. You know? And I can remember I was in a band at the time. And from the moment I got in a band, previous to that, every band I went to see, I just wanted the band to be great and for the singer to hit the notes. I had to know he hit the notes. If he didn't hit the notes or he dipped out in some way, I felt shortchanged. And why didn't he hit the notes? I didn't know that it was hard. I didn't know that you've got to do it night after night. I didn't know that it's easy to get it right in the studio, but it's not so easy to do it when you have to do it live and you can't always hear it very well, or the band might be really loud, you know, interfering with your ability to hear what you're singing. Or you might've drunk a bottle of scotch the night before. <laughs> I didn't know those things. I was a kid, right? Yeah. But if he didn't hit the notes, I felt shortchanged. Yeah. Completely. I went home miserable. When I saw David Lee Roth, I suddenly realized that it wasn't just about the singing. Yeah, it was yeah. much more about, how you brought the audience onto the stage with you, yeah. beat them about the head and sent them home happy yeah. to have been beaten. And I yeah. think that basically did it for me. I came away on the, I went home on the train. I never forget it. And I thought, I want to do it like that. Yeah. I have to do it like that. Yeah. And, you know, he changed my life you know, in, in absolutely no uncertain terms. He changed my life because I realized that it wasn't just about the singing. It had to be about the entertainment as well. Yeah, yeah, for a long time, I I was kind of in that mindset as well as as a singer. I felt the same. If, if if I was watching somebody that wasn't hitting the notes, I was exactly the same. But then, as the performer, I quickly realised that I was always so focused on doing the best vocal I can do. Like that was a hundred percent. And what I had to, I kind of realised then that I need to be like seventy percent vocal, thirty percent something else i needed to be some i needed to grow as a performer entertainer whatever um so still really high the percentages i want to wait every note if i can but not um i know what you mean not the expense of the show yes not the expense and sacrificing the show because yeah. that, that is our job I, I totally agree with it but that took me a long time that only that only recently have I've, I've actually thought like that in the last sort of five six years i've been with the I'll band tell you, i'm gonna i'm gonna let you into a secret I still do it to myself now, yeah. even to this day. Uh, if I mean, I come off after a show, I'm half dead because yeah. I don't even know what I've done. I genuinely don't know what I've done. It's only afterwards I know when people tell me what I've done that I find out what I've done. Because I just, I go on, I'm almost in a kind of a trance. I'm, I'm feeling the room, I'm working the room, I'm staying on top of what goes on all the way through the gig. But all the way through the gig, I'm beating myself up. Yeah. All the way through the gig. Yeah. All the way through the gig. You know, 
didn't do that very well. Didn't do that very well. Didn't do it. I never tell myself what I did well. I only tell myself what I didn't do well all the way through the gig. Yep. And by the end of the gig, I'm half dead. I go into the after show and people say, that was great. And I think mm. to myself, you must have been at a different gig to me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's weird. And then yeah. occasionally, just occasionally, I will do a show and I'll come off. I know the band have been red hot because they always are. And sometimes I'm like, absolutely nailed it tonight. I am fucking amazing. Right? Yeah. Some nights, right? Not many, but occasionally I'll come off and I'll walk into the after show. Nobody says a word. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. think to myself, you've been at a different gig to me again. Yeah. You know, this, this is just, I don't, I, I'll never understand it. I've learned to accept it. Yeah. Um, but, the, but for me, you know, touring is mental torture. Mm. Absolutely mental torture. My first waking thought every day I wake up on the bus is one, I'm still alive. Two, am I going to do that again tonight? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, it's, the it's way I, that's the way I feel. It's literally like you're taking, you're walking through my mind right now. It's literally everything I, I think you're basically saying. So that's good to know. Because you'll be doing it a while, and you're still epic, but I was going to say, that, Shane, it must be brilliant to hear that from Danny. Because like I've toured with him, and I know every day, Danny, we could be sitting at breakfast, and it'll be silent with me and him, maybe, or the boys, he'll be really quiet, and it's almost that couple of hours just making sure that you can open your mouth and sing. It's almost like a, you know, it's probably it's fine, ninety ninety nine point out of nine percent, or like you said before, Danny, when you. You know, when your voice went before the, that download slot, like, do you know what I mean? And you didn't know whether it was going to work until till the show, and it ended up being one of the most talked about shows ever. It's, um, but I've, I've actually been with Shane, and it don't matter the age, it's almost the fear of not being able to put on the show and letting people down. Um, and that's a lot of weight to carry for any frontman, any any singer, any performer, like, you know? I think the, the problem is with singing is that, you know, it's an extension you know, your instrument is an extension of who you are. Mm. And, and you, we're all frail, you know. There's all kinds of ways that we can break down singers. Um, guitar players, drummers to an extent, all the other musicians, they can go on, they can feel like dog shit and still perform. Yeah, They can still play, right? Singers, it's not the same because you're only as good as you feel, the way you feel. If you don't feel right, then you don't sing as well. And if you're in here you feel less than you know you should do. It's, you make it harder for yourself. It's a state of mind. It's completely a state of mind. If you feel tense, your voice doesn't work very well. Yeah. If you relax, your voice feels great. So the trick is waking up feeling like death, knowing that your voice has been ravaged the night before for whatever reason. And then you've got to find a way to get yourself from that state there to the point where you feel good enough to go on and do the job. And that, for me, sometimes takes all day. Yeah. From the moment I wake up. Yeah. I'm humming. I'm working my way through the day. I'm warming my voice up. I'm gradually doing tiny little skinny little exercises all through the day. People will come to me and ask you questions and say, I'm not talking to you right now. I've got more important things to do. I'm sitting there going, la, 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 so fuck off, come <laughs> <Yeah>. later. 
<laughs> yeah, we're going to trade that one. La, 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 la. Fuck off. <laughs> come back later. You've got to say come back later. It doesn't work otherwise. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you don't come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. No, that's good to you, Bed. And and one of the things I've viewed like, on, on the new album, which is incredible, guys. No, if anybody haven't got this, what's the matter with you? Go and get it. It's amazing. Danny, your voice still, dude, sounds, if not, even more soulful on this record than I viewed you in, in the past. But you're in all the big notes, bud. It's raspy. It's soulful. Your voice is brilliant. And, and in fact, I've been listening to this album for about, I don't know, two weeks now while doing my runs. And um, before before listening to this album, I was struggling running. So I'd be, I'd be running and I'd be like, oh, come on, Shane. Come on, Shane getting up the hill and then i found myself listening to this album i was going go on danny boy go on danny because <laughs> the, the soul in your voice dude it's just i don't know man it just it resonates with me as a vocalist and um i think it's killer bud thank you i appreciate that uh, it's you know we were we were very chuffed with it when we finished it absolutely you know we knew the material was strong we knew we had a great time making it and for us Having a great time making it means that it's good. We know it's good. You know, we've been doing it a long time now. So we we all felt very good about it when it was finished. Um, yeah. And it was, it was, it was a bit of a blow. I have to say it was a blow because we heard the final mix and we approved the final mix. Mike Fraser, as in ACDC and Aerosmith and all those guys, he, he's mixed loads of our albums over the years. He mixed it in Vancouver. We sent him, all the, all the audio and just said, do your tube, do your thing, do your job, smash it up the way only you can. Um, and when he sent the mixes through, Luke and I were on the road in Germany. We're doing this thing called Rock Meets Classic where you go out with a massive orchestra, you play your tunes and then you get off and then you stand by the side and watch other people play their tunes with the orchestra. It's brilliant fun, absolutely. If anybody ever offers you the opportunity to go, Shane, absolutely take it. Don't think for a second, oh, it's a bit odd, it's a bit weird, feels a bit like karaoke. I'm telling you now, don't refuse. It's amazing. It's a fantastic, amazing thing to do. And um, so we were doing this. We were probably five shows in, and then the whole thing got cut, shut down by COVID. We were the last show in Berlin on the night that, that we played it. And then everybody went home the next day, which was really real, real, real shame. But we'd heard the final mix of the album in our hotel room the night before. And we just approved all the mixes. And then we went home. And then, of course, we got in the door. I was thinking, well, okay, so, so I was going to be away for the next three weeks, and now I'm not away. So what am I going to do now? Um, I was going to think about um, shooting the album cover, but I can't do that either. All right, so, okay, what? what uh, let's do the band photos. Oh, no, we can't do them either. Ah, okay. So what are we going to do now then? You know? Well, we're not going to release an album, are we? You know, it was a very sort of bizarre discussion. So normally we work with the plan. The plan's, you know, like sometimes two years ahead, you know, and we move the plan, we shift the plan as we need to. But to have your plan just kind of pulled away with no way to know how you can adjust it was, is a very strange thing. We're not used to that. So it meant we spent the next year sitting on an album we couldn't play to anyone. Yeah. And I've never been in that position before. So by the time the, we were able to play the album to people, for us, it was really old. 
<laughs> I mean, I've been running around the park to it, and I agree with you, Shane. It's it's definitely a good album to run to. Even I yeah. found that. It is. It's really weird, because when I listen to our albums normally, I'm beating myself up thinking of all the things that I didn't do well. You know, all the yeah. things that I wanted to do well that I didn't quite nail all the way through. But I've listened to this album so much whilst running and being distracted that I've actually gone right round the corner and I've come back on it and I'm all, I'm almost listening to it like I bought the record now yeah. rather than I sang on it. It's a really strange thing. But um, so I listen to it like a punter now, mm. which is very odd. I put it on today. I was listening. We were, we were talking about doing some edits and for radio and various bits and bobs. And I put the tracks on today and I was listening to them thinking, wow, yeah, this is weird. doesn't feel like me. It feels like someone else. Yeah. It's so long ago. Very weird. I think I'm glad you like it anyway. I think that's one of the things I wanted to ask because obviously now we, we've got it and we, we listen to it and everything. Um, it must be so weird like because we grew up with your records as well. And knowing how bands operate, especially when you want to be in a band and then you start learning the, the behind the scenes of the cycle, as we know, the, the cycle of you release a record and then you come back a couple of years later, re-record another record. It must have been so bizarre of all your life doing it a certain way. And then obviously nobody's seen this coming, but to have this record... Um, and to not see the guys and stuff like that, and but you did do you did meet up then. Um, I think after we spoke to you after the Crowcast and did a kind of like the Grey Whistle test. You did like a, a TV show which went out. Is that right to your to your fans? Yeah. Well, we knew we couldn't release the album, uh, so we had to put it back, and yeah. we put the shows back as well. Um, but then we realized that we weren't going to be able to play the shows, even though they'd been delayed. Originally, they were going to be last November. Then we moved them back to this May. And when the realization came that we weren't going to be able to play the shows in May either, hmm. we couldn't stop the album from being released because that had already started. You know, it's like a tanker. You know, once you get it going, you can't turn it around. So we thought, well, if the album's definitely coming out, but we can't play live, we have to do something. And people have been saying to us, you know, asking us if we would play some kind of a streamed gig. And we weren't really huge fans of it because our audience makes the difference between a rehearsal and it being a show. Yeah. You know, when, when, you know, we can get ourselves excited up to a point, right? but unless the audience is there, you yeah. know, it sort of, it ends up at this level and it never gets any further than that. You stick mm -hmm. the audience in the room, it does that. And that makes us go there. And then they go there. And then in the end, you know, all the lava stops coming out of everybody's heads, you know, and it's, it's a mess, you know, but that's what we want to happen. And we need the audience for that to happen. Yeah. So to, yeah. to be able to do a gig without an audience, we just didn't fancy it at all. Um, and a lot of the bands I'd seen do it, not all, some of them did it really well, but some of them, or the majority of them, I just thought, you know, it just feels a bit flat to me. You know, I watched a few stream gigs and just didn't really, feel like it, it worked for me. And I, I don't think we would have enjoyed it so much. So, but the realization that we couldn't do it, we could, shut up. Can you hear my cat? She's just coming in moaning at me. She's hungry. <laughs> what do you want? Go away. I'm doing something here. <laughs> I know, I know. Just shut up. That's it. Go on. Bugger off. Go on. Sorry about this. All right. <laughs> what, what are you doing? No, 
No, she's gone. It's all right. I just realised the cat. Say what? Thundercats. No. No, she's... um. Not going to get any... <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, no. I'm not going there. I know what you're saying, but I'm not yeah. going there. Um, <laughs> the, um... Uh... Yeah, her name is Nutmeg, and we call her Meggie, but she's more nut than Meg. It's got to be said. Yeah, she's yeah. always been a bit weird. Strange cat. Must be beat up as, as, a, as a kitten. Very strange. Anyway, we won't go there. Um... <laughs> What was I saying? I can't remember what I was saying. Just talking about the fans and the connection of live gigs. So do you, you, you it must go. be really strange doing, I mean, there you all are in, in, in your glory, but it's going to be strange, bud, isn't it? Because obviously you've created this album now. And like when anybody, when any band does an album, you're waiting for that crowd response to those songs. Um, you know, you, you, you're listening back to them and you know you what know, people are saying, oh, they're like their favourite songs. But until you're in that room with that audience, do you realise, oh my God, they went nuts for that song? You know, what you think is a good song, actually to the crowd, that song works better live or we're not there yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, you never really know. I mean, we we recorded, re-recorded eight of the songs last summer at Rockville. We went in, uh, we got the girls in and we got Sam in, the keyboard player, and we played them all live, um, completely live, live. I mean, you know, one, two, three, four, go, you know. Yeah. No fix-ups, no stopping, you know, get to the end of the tune. Everybody happy? No, well, I actually screwed up that one. All right, we'll do it again. And then we'll do the song again. And then, you know, actually, I fucked that up. All right, we'll do it again then. Don't do it again, please, because I'm getting fed up now. All right then, let's go. <laughs> we'll we do it again. And we just kept doing that for all eight songs until we were happy that we had eight versions that were, you know, as close to being as good as they could be. Yeah. And the experience of doing that um, took us into a, that's beyond rehearsing because you're, you're recording it. You're trying to capture a performance. So that's not like a live gig, but it's more than a rehearsal. It's yes. more than just kind of running through the tunes. So that gave us a, a feeling for which songs from the album would work. But as you say, there's no substitute for doing it in front of real people. The strange thing was that having agreed to do it, we felt that, the only way that we could get some degree of live interaction in place was to um, open it up to our fan club members. Mm. And so we recorded through the day and filmed through the day when we shot the TV thing. Um, and then I think it was about six o'clock in the evening, we had the fan club members join us via Zoom. You know, like on your TV, you've got the, all of those tiny little screens, everybody's going mad in the background, yeah. all clapping out of time, you know. Some of them not even wearing any clothes. Funny people. <laughs> but the difference it made when those guys joined us, even though they were down the pipe and we could see them only on TV screens, we had a TV screen either side, one over here, one over here. And the moment they joined us, our energy levels went, yeah. it was bizarre. You know, it was really strange, even though they weren't in the room. It was yeah. still better than not having them in the room. But the difference was amazing. And um, we were very pleased with the results. It was, uh, it was an enormous amount of work. Um, I, think we, I think we ticked our boxes because we didn't want it to look like a gig and we didn't want it to look like a rehearsal. We wanted some interaction with the audience and um, it turned out really well. You know, the, the, it sounded great. I mean, when you consider we had no opportunities to rehearse that at all. We ran yeah. through the songs once the afternoon before just to check the sound. 
that was it. No rehearsal. None. Eight people. It was absolutely terrifying. And Rob, the guitar player who stood in for Benny, he played all 16 of those songs, having never played them before. That's amazing. It was unbelievable. We couldn't, I, I, I genuinely couldn't believe that he did it as well as he did. He's a great, great guy, a great guitar player. He plays for Jamiroquai normally. You know, he's giving it all that kind of expensive, funky stuff yeah, most of yeah. the time. And we said to him, you know, did you enjoy it? He said, yeah, it was great. It's a few power chords every now and again. Turn me amp up. Loved it. You know, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't yeah. get to do that with Jamiroquai. He's giving it all that, you know, most of the time. Playing it with expensive chords that we can't afford in rock bands. <laughs> do you have any favorite songs on the album, Bert? Favorite songs on the album. It's very hard, very hard to choose your favorite songs um, because it changes all the time. And also, it's all it's all tainted, I think, by, certainly for me at least it is, uh, by what you felt when you made it, you know, how yeah. hard it was. I mean, the, the ballad for me, I'll Be The One, that's the hardest song I've ever sung. Not because it's high or, 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 you know, there's no time to breathe or anything. It's because it's probably the quietest song he's ever, ever written for me to sing. Right. It's low. It's very soft. And I'm not good at that. You know, I'm, you know, I'm usually trying to out scream everybody else and shout over the top of them. You know, I don't care how loud their amps go. I'm going to be louder than them. Fuck them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's but funny. With, you... a song like, with a song like I'll be the one, it's, it's very soft and it's very yeah. gentle and that's not my area, you know? So, but, that's part of the brief. You know, when we got back together to make the Wonder Days album, we said we have to go into new areas. We have to, even if people don't notice, it's, it's about us feeling like we're pushing the, the barriers, you know, just pushing at, the, at our own skill levels. You know, we want to raise the bar. We've said this time and time again in interviews, and we wanted to raise the bar, not just with the songwriting, but with the performances and the way that we, the way that we sing, the way that we play. And, you know, to his credit, I mean, Luke has delivered those songs that have made it hard for us. And, um, and you know, we definitely suffer for our art. By the time we get to the album, we're all looking around it afterwards going, well, he did it, he made it harder, but we got there, mostly, you know. Yeah. And uh, I'll Be The One, for me, was the big challenge on that album. I don't normally sing the songs for very long. I'm usually pretty well drilled when I get into the studio. I sing a song once to warm up, I'll sing the song four times in quick succession. So I'm singing for about half an hour, you know, no more for every song. And at the end of the half an hour, they'll basically go through and they'll just pick all the best bits, you know, and then they'll just kind of glue them all together. And as long as it sounds like a performance, that's job done. Yeah. I, you know, maybe I'll go in and fix a couple of lines, but after, it's pretty much half an hour, you know, so I don't take very long to sing them. Um, but with that song, I tried as hard as possible and didn't get there. That was on session one. I think I told you we made the album in three sessions, right? Yeah. Session one, I tried to sing it, failed. Session two, tried again. Got a bit closer, but still failed. Session three, did it again, got it as good as I can get it, and gave up. I just got to the stage where I thought, I can't do any better than this. I'm not, I'm not as good as I thought I was. <laughs> it's the uh -huh. truth. And I, and I and I just had to accept it, and and it's it's taken me over a year to now accept the fact that it sounds okay, but not as good as I would have liked it to have been, because I know in my head what I wanted to do, I just couldn't do it. 
That's mad. It's, it's a front man thing, isn't it? Because Ronnie's, I know Ronnie's sitting there going, that's him. That's exactly what he does. That's living with Shane, that is. It's like, mm. you'll hear something. And I've even said to Shane, that's great. And he's like, really? And it's almost then I feel like he's testing me. I'm like, yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> no, nah, I don't think it does. And then you're thinking, well, are my ears gone? Am I not hearing it? Like he's hearing it. Um, but genuinely, when you ask the room and the, the other boys pave in, everybody seems to have the same same thing. So I do think it's um, a singer, front man, especially singers who can sing. And I do say, you know, in this industry at the moment, and I'll probably get roasted for it, but there are a lot of singers who can't sing earning a good coin and fair play to them, God bless them and all of that. Um, but there there are true singers as well, which I, I'm still a fan of. I'm still very old school. In, I love a singer to sing. Like, you know, I love, you know, yeah. not to be aided. I think I'm trying to be too kind of tactful on my words. But, you know, like I said, a lot of them are aided by computers. or um, and, and to me, an old-fashioned singer can open his mouth and, and wail. Or like you said, fucking keep up, turn your amp up. Um, and and yeah. you're in the keys and stuff like that, like you know. And um, you're talking about those filthy cheats, aren't you? That's what you're talking about. Basically, yeah. Especially, especially half yeah. the mock musicians who, you know, they got half yeah. the band playing on fucking track, and and you know, and the singer's choosing which line he's going to sing because he's got eight tracks of himself that he's kind of mixing into the live performance, like you know. So yeah, I know. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't get it. I never understood it. Um, and if that's if that what if that's what blows their ear back, you know, if that makes them happy, then so be it. If that makes their audience happy, great. But mm. it doesn't work for me. And you can only you can only be true to yourself. You only can do what you think is right for you. And mm-hmm. um, you know, because if you do what's right for you, you'll never go far wrong. That's yeah. the way I see it. And part of, I think, I genuinely believe that part of the anxiety and the angst and the pressure that you put on yourself to deliver, if you're a certain type of singer, I think that's the thing that makes you good. Yeah. You know, it, it is, you know, it's the thing that drives you to be better than you could be if you just were complacent, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, and you, you can't have one bit of it without the other bit. You can't just sort of, you've got to have a little bit of torture, you know, otherwise, how do you know it's any good? You know, yeah. if, if, if you just sort of, I mean, I don't struggle genuinely. I don't struggle most of the time. You know, I show up, open me chops up, out he comes, you know, happy days, you know, and every now and again, it's a nightmare, you know, and we've talked about the business of being on the road and trying to get yourself ready for that. It's, it's just, it's, it's just what you do. You know, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's kind of, it's normal for me, you know, I accept it as part and parcel of what goes on. I don't, I don't moan to the others about it. I mean, I did. I remember years ago, we had a conversation. The boy says, "Well, why don't we fiddle around with the keys a bit? Why don't we drop down like half half a step or something? You know, might help you." And we did it, and we rehearsed for. I think we were rehearsing for four days, and on the second day, I said to them, "We need to go back to the way it was." And they said, "Why?" I said, "Because you're all miserable, and so am I. This is not working. This doesn't feel right." Yeah. You know, yeah, but it'd be easier for you. We'll all get used to it. I said, I don't want to get used to it. Let's just go back the way it was. It's my problem. I'll, I'll deal with it. You know, and and we do. You know, I think you know you you want to be a singer. You got to suffer. Incredible. I know we were joking about that in the studio when we were recording. Um, producers were like, 
oh Shane, can we go up a half a step? And we're like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, just bring something out in your vocal, and, and that's what's down the record, and that's what we do live now. And it's, but yeah, you, you can be your worst enemy as a singer. It's, it's, it is mind games, Danny. And um, it's good to know that you're still kicking ass as you do, bud, and you've been doing it as long as you have. Um, I'm me, I'm, I'm small fish. Um, but to know that you've been there, done it, and saying it's okay, that's normal. The way you're thinking is normal because, um, yeah, I just think exactly like you are, bud. It's you've mad. Gotta, I think I think you've got to rely on your guys, you know, in that situation. I've always been very lucky. I think had I been left to my own devices, I probably would have disappeared up my own ass for sure. You know, where I think I've been very lucky, and this is where I hope you'll be lucky too, is that I've been able to rely on my guys. You know, because I know that if I if I get into that situation where I can't see the wolf of the trees and I think it's shit and I want to do it again and I want to do it again and Luke will just say, you know something? I think it's all right. We need to give it up now. You know, why don't you go off and get yourself a cup of tea and make me one, bring us back a biscuit and it all will be well. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll just get this mixed and then if it doesn't sound right, we'll do it again. But I think you'll find when I've sprinkled the magic fairy dust on it, all will be well. Yeah. And, Nine times out of ten, he's right. So I think you have to you have to be able to put your trust and your faith in the guys that you work with, you know, to yeah. stop you just being a neurotic maniac, you know, because mm. that's what you can end up doing. Yeah. I feel like a vicar. No, it's good. It's good. <laughs> it's motivation for, especially for bands watching as well, because yeah. you know everybody goes through it, Danny, and like especially now we're leveling up and. We have the show with you, for example, in um, the Motor Point, um, which is fantastic. Yeah. We're looking forward to that. We got the the rescheduled show with you in the Motor Point in Cardiff. Um, there it is. Can't wait for that Thursday, twenty sixth oh, of May. Um, so what we did since we last spoke to you as well, we've been mastering our craft behind the scenes and trying to work on our in use. Um, and it's little things like your advice there, or or just trying to get those things right. Um, so you can level up as a band. So I think everything you've said tonight kind of gives, especially a lot of singers, a little bit of peace of mind um, that then, you know, it's all right to be a bit crazy. I was going to say not that they're not crazy, but it's okay to be a bit crazy, like, you know? Gotta be. I, you know, I think, I've, and I've always felt there's nothing wrong with showing yourself to be human. I've never had a problem with telling people about the failures and telling people about, um, you know, insecurities and stuff yeah. like that. I know Luke would never, never, Luke would never agree with any of that. He thinks it's all about strength. He's, he's always very kind of bulletproof, you know, United front. We don't do, we don't do our washing, you know, all that kind of rhubarb, you know, our dirty washing in public. And I, to an extent, I agree with that, but I'm much more, I'm much more, um, tactile, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm much more, um, neurotic, frail, um, happy to share, you know, I think, uh, you can keep stuff bottled up and some people it works for, but it doesn't work for me. You know, i got a problem. Everybody knows about it. That's as simple as that. I just think everybody deserves to know about my problem because that will make them feel better as well as me. <laughs> it's, it's probably not true, but that's what I do. I can't do anything yeah. about it. You know, I'm having a shit day. Everybody knows, <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> they, they get to find out, you know, and that yeah. makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, oh, so many similarities, isn't it? It's unbelievable. Well, that's why you ended up being a singer, my friend. Yes. Yeah. I'll drink to that. <laughs> yeah. um, you spoke about Luke. It'd be rude before you go not to say about the um, the two others just being announced, which is great. I know we're yeah. going to get the one of the dates. It's brilliant because you've done this before. Um, you're going to be... Uh, is, it, is there a book? Is to com- complement the book that's coming out as well? Is that correct? Yeah. The um, After we did the last tour that was uh november 2019 um the promoter who's also a publisher of books he uh he said to us afterwards i really enjoyed the shows much more than i thought i would i thought you would play some acoustic songs i didn't realize that it would be so revealing i didn't realize that you guys were so kind of capable of sort of dovetailing with the with the stories and the way that you finished each other's sentences and the way that you kind of covered for each other and and that that kind of kinship that you've got, that you've obviously built up over many, many years. Um, he said, I had no idea that it was so kind of, it was so deep, you know, the, the, the way that you guys are able to just kind of interact with an audience. Um, and I said, I'll be honest, I'll be honest with you. Um, I did a similar tour with Benny years before. And, um, Equally funny, very, very good. But Luke's a different sort of character. He's much more kind of straightforward, much more sort of upright than, uh, don't get me wrong, Luke is not a deadly serious man. He's just very much more serious than Benny. You know, when we did the the Danny and Ben tour, um, I spent my time trying to keep it on track while Benny did his best to derail it every night, (laughs) all the way through the gig. You know, like a naughty schoolboy, just trying to find a way to pull the rug out from underneath me. Um, With Luke, I expected that he would be a lot straighter and that I would be the one trying to keep lighting it all up because otherwise, you know, he might end up doing some kind of human didgeridoo impersonation, you know, just sort of going, num, 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 all the way through the gig. You know? <laughs> so, but that wasn't the case. The moment the, from, from the first show, Luke suddenly kind of did it in a completely different way than I thought he would. And the promoter got it. And he said to me afterwards, you know, I think we should do a book. I'd really like to commission Mick Wall to write a book, but it has to be your book. It has to be in consultation with you. I don't want him to write it from a distance. I want yeah. him to talk to both of you separately and together um, so that you get that kind of feeling of narration all the way through the book. And um, so we did. And we did that in a big chunk of last year, several sessions. And Mick wrote it up and then we fiddled with it and, so we kind of all wrote it together, really. I mean, he typed it all, but we then edited it and tweaked it and changed it and put it in the right order and, you know, corrected all these mistakes, you know, and it was great fun to do. But having done it, the promoter said, well, I think we should do another tour to go with the book. So we said, okay, all right then, let's talk about it. And then, of course, COVID happened and then it all went wrong and, so now we've decided that we, you know, we'll put it on sale. I hope we'll get to do it in November. You know, I really hope. I mean, people are buying tickets. They're going gangbusters. The book sales are amazing. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll get to do it in November. And I, I like to think we will. I think by November we'll be in good shape. Um, we well, just you, have to wait and see. You come in local to us. I'm definitely. I'll I'll be there, both. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a good laugh. It's very, very good laugh. I mean, we tell all kinds of stories. I mean, we reveal 
all kinds of stuff. Were you... the gigs. I mean, the audience are crying their eyes out laughing. I think one of your past ones, you came to a place called My Steg in Wales, My Steg in Hall, and I heard about it, and everybody has said what a great night they had. So, and they, they, they still talk about it. They're like, it was an absolutely fantastic night, completely different to a Thunder show. It was just, oh. it was brilliant. It was entertaining. The stories were phenomenal. The music was great. Um, so, yeah, man, I, I'm with Shane. I, I'd love to come along and... Um, oh, you're more than yeah. welcome. Just let me know where you want to go, and I'll, uh, you know, I'll make sure they don't you in. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be the pattern at the moment, Shane. With banned from yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, no, it's 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 a good, it's a very very good fun tour, and um, it's very different. Yeah. Um, but it just, I I think once again you have to be true to yourself. You have to be the way you are as human beings, and I think we're lucky. We've been doing it a long time. We've got a lot of history. For us, it's not that difficult to do. I remember talking to uh, Biff from Saxon when I first, when we first announced the first Danny and Ben tour. I think I'd been somewhere like the Classic Rock Awards or somewhere, and there was a do afterwards. And I saw him at the bar, and he said, "I see you've just announced this two-man tour." And I said, "That's it." And he said, "So, how's that going to be then?" And I said, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Well, what are you going to do?" I said, "Well, we're going to we're going to tell some stories." And then when it feels like it's flagging, we're going to burst into song to save it. So he said, right, right. He said, I could never do that. I said, why? And he said, I'd be terrified. I said, why? So he said, well, you know, you've got no band, have you? So I said, no. So he said, well, what if you make a mistake? I said, the audience will laugh. Yeah. yeah. What's wrong with that? So he said, I don't know, but, you know, I mean, what about your reputation? I said, our reputations went to the dogs years ago, mate. I'm not worried about that. You know, I think all I got to do is just get on and have a good time. As long as I have a good time, the audience will have a good time. You know, yeah. and this, it, it really isn't any more complicated than that. It's really easy to overthink it. You know, you just got to be, you just got to be yourself, very normal, find a way to make it entertaining and, you know, look into the audience and look for some smiling faces. You know, you can see it in their eyes if they're enjoying it. If they're not, like I said, set fire to yourself or set fire to them. Yeah. It's the only way. I love it. Bro, I could speak to you all night, Danny. I, I love it, dude. This is this is brilliant. Um, if any of you guys haven't got this album, all the right noises, please do yourself a favor, go get it. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, it's great for running. Before you go, Danny, I've got to say, bud, as as a vocalist, young man, the the lower register on young man. <laughs> oh, that's low. <laughs> you like Barry White? That's not me. That's Luke. Oh, no. That's Luke. Yeah. 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 Play. There we are. We were. Yeah. yeah we were wondering. Bloody hell. Oh, no, I did do some of it. I did do some of it. I think. I think we did them together. I think we did some yeah. of the long, low ones together. No, no. I think I am in there actually. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. I might have had I a drink. Say, it does oh, sound like. Me. <laughs> yeah, I think I did. Think, I think. I think we did do them together. Actually, thinking about it yeah. now. Yeah, I think we did. I honestly can't remember. It seems like a long time ago because it was. No. You know, I mean, he's already started writing a new record. He sent us two demos already. The boys yeah. are on fire. You can't stop yourself. Yeah, and some of the, the guitar parts in that in that record as well are, are wicked. Yeah, there's so many um, different sounds. There's different. I, I don't know. I just hear loads of different genres as well, which is brilliant. Um, and it really adds the moods to him as well. Every track, like you know. So, like I it's said, weird. You know, doing the Please Remain Seated album. 
which was a sit-down record where we deconstructed the tunes and put them back together wrong. You know, so rock tunes became reggae tunes and, you know, jazz tunes and, you know, you know, shuffle blues tracks, you know. So the originals were changed beyond pretty much all recognition in some cases, you know, change of key, change of arrangement, change of everything. Um, it was a very experimental record for us because everything we did, we did up on the hoof as we made it up. You know, why, why don't we try this song like this, you know? And then we would do it and half the time it didn't work and then we just go, this is shit. Let's just do something else. Try yeah. something else. Well, that feels better. Let's, let's go with that, you know? And we would just take it along until we felt like we had an idea. And we did it over three sessions, but it was a real eye opener because it, I think it made everybody realize that we were capable of doing things that we didn't necessarily think we could do prior to. I think it's very easy to think within narrow parameters. You know, this is what we do. This is how we do it. And there's a comfort in that. But I think it's also limiting. It limits your imagination. And I think it limits your ability and your talent. As a lot in the long run, if you think within narrow parameters, I think if you remove them and say, well, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen here? We're just going to waste a load of money and a load of time. If it's shit, we'll know. Hmm. In which case, no one will ever hear it, you know, yeah. and that's down to us, you know, yeah. that will be on us. But let's have a go, you know, it's our money, let's do what we want. And we did. And we deliberately, after the first session, didn't listen to the, those recordings for two months, none of us. We swore that we wouldn't listen to them. And we went out and we did a tour with Alice Cooper in Germany. And on the last night, we sat in the dressing room and someone said, why don't we put those, de those demos on that we did? Let's put them on now. And we said, yeah, all right then, yeah, great. So we put them on and we sat around in the dressing room listening to them. And it was like a revelation because we'd all forgotten what we'd done. Yeah. And as we were listening to the, to the versions, we're going, this is good, isn't it? This is so different. This is really good. And then every now and again, you think, you know, that one don't work. <laughs> Why did we think that was any good then? This really doesn't work. This is crap. You know? yeah. And then the next one would come up and you go, wow, this is even better than I remember it. You know? And then there were a couple of times I thought, is this us? You know, <laughs> it's just really strange. Yeah. But I think, to go on that kind of voyage, if you like, that kind of voyage of discovery gives you the ability to question what you do yeah. and to push it in other areas, you know. And I think we, having gone right through it or when it, having made it, I remember we sat down with a glass of wine. We just finished the album at Rockfield because having done all those demos, we went back in and did them all again to make the record. We just went back in, re-recorded them all again, all live, you know, you've got all the cobblers, all the shit going on in between the tunes, all the laughter. I mean, the outtakes from that album, my God. I mean, there's so much swearing. It's unbelievable. It's I like, love to hear that. It, it makes Derek and Clive look like a nursery rhyme. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> but no one's ever got to hear it, trust me. Uh, Not unless I really fall out with Nick Bryan. <laughs> and that ain't going to happen, right? Yeah. But having done it, we sat there with a glass of wine and Luke said... This has been great, but now it's time to get get back and make a fucking rock record. We need to stand up, not sit down. We need to turn up and we need to rock out. Yeah. Because everybody's going to say when we release this record, ah, this is what they do now. 
they're old. They're ready for their pipe and slippers. And that stuck in our heads. Mm. And he started writing the album, this album. And the first song that he wrote, I think it was Destruction, the second song on the, on the album, which is very, very untypical Thunder record. There's no chorus. And then the next song was Last One Out, Turn Off The Lights. And then and then they're just coming off and they're coming off of, of, of Luke's, if you like, production line as they're coming through, as he's writing them and sending us the demos. And I just kept thinking to myself, nobody is going to think that Please Remain Seated is the way we go now. You know, he's, yeah. he's got this thing in his head. He's going to prove everybody wrong. Yeah. And the Please Remain Seated album went down really well. The tour was a revelation, but we were very desperate to get back to, to a rock record with this album. And I think... Having been through Please Remain Seated, it kind of galvanized us from a musical direction point of view. Talk about textures. A lot of those textures we found while we were making the Please Remain Seated album, just sitting around experimenting with sounds. Yeah. You know, We wouldn't normally give ourselves the opportunity to do that because it would already be fixed before we got there. But experimenting with Please Remain Seated gave us the ability to do that. And it, it let us know we could. And that's after all these years, you know, we're still now pushing away yeah. the barriers that we made for ourselves, you know. So we're just pushing away at them now because we know we are closer to the end than the beginning of our career. So, and we still feel we can make our best record yet. Yeah. We genuinely do believe it, you know, yeah. and we want to push because we don't know if the next record will be our last record. So we have to know we've done our very best with it. And if it isn't the best record we've ever made, at least we had a go. But that's, that's a look in the mirror in the morning moment. You know, you've got to yeah. say to yourself, you know, we've just finished that record. Did I do the best I could do? It comes under the heading of neurotic maniac singer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, all, it's all wrapped up in the same thing. You know, yeah, asking yeah. yourself the question, look in the mirror. Did you do the best you could do? Be honest with yourself. If you didn't, fuck off. Do something else. <laughs> Danny, get out of my fucking head. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely bang on. Absolutely you know, bang I'm on. I'm going to tell you now, he gave me money to say all that. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't He's surprise been emailing me. me for weeks, mate. Uh, he's got a white t-shirt on. He's drinking water. I tell you, well, he's done, done. <laughs> no. well done. It worked. Danny, absolute pleasure to speak with you, buddy. As always, um, inspirational, buddy. I love that chat. Thank you so much. Everybody, go and get this album, All the Right Noises. It's Thunder, back doing what they do best. Danny, take care, brother. Thank you so much for joining us. Good luck, boys. Take it easy. Take it See you easy. in May, yeah? Soon. Yes. yes. See you soon. Cheers, Danny. Later. Take care, Danny. Thanks for listening to Crowcast Podcast. Don't forget, this episode is also available to watch on our YouTube channel. For up-to-date information on everything Crows, follow us on all our socials or visit our website, thosedamncrows.com. Tidy. Ta-da.